0: Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts.
1: And on the internet and everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woohoo! Podcasts are pretty powerful, aren't they?
0: Actually, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. A force for good. <laughs>
1: that's, <laughs> that's
0: the idea. Alright, well, last week I'd said that I wanted to come back to the concept of creating a culture of support. So, I want to do that this week.
1: Yeah, let's do that.
0: I want to look at the questions. What does it mean to... I was going to just ask that. (laughs) Well, good, because I'm going to tell you. And also why it's so important. And most importantly, how we can provide support for one another and how we can create space that is supportive for one another.
1: Hmm. Yeah. But before we get to that, we want to tell you that we are not doctors. We are herbalists and holistic health educators.
0: The ideas discussed in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. No state or federal authority licenses herbalists in the United States. These discussions are for educational purposes only. Everybody's body is different, so the things that we're talking about may or may not apply directly to you, but we hope that they'll give you some good information to think about and ideas to research further.
1: And we wish to remind you that good health is your own personal responsibility. The final decision in considering any course of therapy, whether you heard it discussed on the internet or it was prescribed by a physician, is in fact always yours. Yay. Yay. But hopefully you have some support when you're making those kind of decisions. (laughs) Wouldn't that
0: be great? So here's the thing, just to kind of like frame the problem um, that I'm thinking about here, is that good health is actually effort. And it's not just that you have to work at it, but you have to plan for it. And especially in our current world where society doesn't make time for people to care for their health, it's really critical that, that you don't just say, oh, I, I want to take care of my body or I want to eat healthy or whatever, but to, that you take the time to make a plan that will actually work.
1: Preventive medicine, it turns out, is a little more involved than getting some screenings at the, uh, at the, recommended, at the recommended schedule. Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. I have a really good example here. Um, it is that when we first moved to this apartment, I remember as I was packing up at the last apartment saying, Oh, there's a park nearby. I'm going to take Elsie out every single morning for a walk. And that did not happen because I did not make a plan for how I was going to fit that into my day. I did I did have an idea and it was a good idea and it was an idea that I wanted to do, but I didn't actually plan how that was going to fit in my schedule and how I was going to prioritize making that happen. And so it didn't. And instead you ended up mostly taking <laughs> her to the park. <laughs> That's how that went. Yeah, we go (laughs) there. So now, as we're getting ready to move to a new apartment, um, I made that promise again. um, And I have picked the park for the new apartment and everything. But this time, I made a very specific plan about what time I'm going to get up. And it's reasonable, it's not a pie in the sky time to get up. And how I'm going to take Elsie out for a walk. And then go about the rest of my day so that it actually happens this time and not just, hey, I thought this sounds like a good idea and I'd like to do it. Like, a good idea is great, but the dog still didn't get walked. Well, she did, but only because you did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, follow through. Yeah. That's, uh, That's a big important part there.
0: So that's really what we're talking about here is how do you make your good ideas, your good intentions, your genuine desire to take care of your body, how do you make it actually happen? And how do we make space for each other to help that? Mm-hmm. I also want to look at one of my very favorite creatures because um, I find that it it helps to look at other animals to help me understand ourselves, like us as human animals. Um, and to really get context about what it means to take care of my body and what kind of requirements my body has. Because, you know, we just live with humans and other humans and like maybe a cat or, or whatever your house pet might be. But we only really compare self-care to what other humans are doing and to what our ideas of self-care are that we get from like, all different kinds of sources, whether it's, like, memes or propaganda or sales pitches from vitamin companies or, like, some better source of ideas about self-care or whatever. <laughs> so I want to spend a minute um, looking at the behavior of sea otters and thinking about what we can learn about what it really means to take care of our bodies by looking at what sea otters do.
1: <laughs> sea otters? yeah, that, that classic... Uh, example of a wise creature who has it all figured out.
0: They are, actually. Did you know that without sea otters, our kelp forests would die? I I think you told me that. Sea otters (laughs) literally are the stewards of the kelp forests. And kelp forests are a critical part of ocean ecology. And they literally, if we didn't have sea otters they would die because the sea urchins would come in and, and like demolish them. The ah. sea urchins, it turns out, are like a plague of locusts for kelp forests. Mm. And it is the sea otters who keep the sea urchin population in check and also who who help maintain and groom the kelp forest. So sea otters are, in fact, really, really important. And I like to think they're super wise. Plus, you guys, if you have never really looked at pictures of sea otters just stop right now. Well, you don't actually have to stop listening, but pull out your phone and just Google pictures of sea otters. I guarantee it is going to make your day better. They are adorable.
1: Yeah. Floating on
0: their backs, holding hands. They're just so cute.
1: It's pretty great.
0: It is. It's like stress relief right there.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, let me tell you. So clearly, Kachi is saying that in order to um, do a lot of really good self-care, we need to float on our backs. And, and
0: hands. hands. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that it? Let me tell you about what sea otters do to care for their bodies. So, sea otters sleep about 11 hours a day. Um, so, that is actually really good to know because human mammals, it turns out, do require between um, eight and a half to 10 hours of sleep a day. And that's not negotiable. Really, your nine hour of sleep a night target, your body requires that. So you might not be doing it and you might be supporting not doing it with coffee or whatever else. And I am not here to judge because I am often also not doing that because our culture does not support us doing that. But that doesn't mean our bodies don't need it. Our bodies do need it. And so we need to be able to create that support for us to get more sleep. Okay, what else? Sea otters spend about eight hours a day um, feeding themselves, you know, like finding the sea urchins and whatever else. Also, they like to eat um, hard shell seafood, like oysters, and they use tools to open the shells, and it's really cute. Um, So eight hours total, like getting their food and doing whatever else. And that's something that we can learn from. Because how much time did you spend yesterday getting food for yourself? Like... Maybe you had the time yesterday to cook a healthy meal and like do all the things that that requires, but maybe you just popped a lean cuisine into the microwave. And if you did, again, no judgment. That's exactly what I'm talking about, because our culture does not provide a supportive environment for everyone to actually have the time to make fresh meals from scratch every day. We just don't have that available to us. Hmm. And then six hours a day, sea otters spend caring for their fur. And this is critically important because they do not have a layer of blubber like other sea mammals have. Instead, they have such dense fur that the water actually never gets to their skin. Like, there's so much fur that the fur itself is a barrier between... The otter's skin and the water, and that's really cool and really important. It's an amazing feature about how their fur keeps them healthy. But if they didn't spend all that time taking care of their fur, they would get hypothermia and die really quickly. That
1: would be. That would be. Let's not let that happen. Right. No.
0: So let's contrast this to what we as humans do to take care of our our like, our like fur. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Um, maybe we take a shower so that we look nice and we don't smell when we go to the office. Uh, we, right? Maybe we do our hair or our makeup or whatever. But again, we're doing that just to look nice. You don't have to do that. You guys, I definitely did not do that today. Um, and... Maybe we put on lotion or like clip our nails or something like that. That's like what thirty minutes or forty-five minutes if you take a shower like I do. Yeah. Um, Maybe we go to the gym for an hour or something. But but really, that's basically about appearances. Like if we think about, oh, maybe I went to the gym for forty-five minutes or an hour. Maybe I did that three times this week we need to think about what special features our bodies have that actually require time each day to maintain right we can look at the fur of a sea otter and say that that fur is highly specialized it is a highly specialized feature of a sea otter that keeps them safe from the cold water that they live in and so what highly specialized features do our bodies have that keep us safe and when we start to look at it that way it kind of turns everything upside down. Like I have a lymphatic system. It is a specialized feature that allows me to remove waste products from my cells and, re- and ultimately remove them from the body. But I need to take care of my lymphatic system and one of the ways to do that is to walk every day so that I am actually creating the pumping force that makes the whole thing function. And if I don't do that, it doesn't function. And the thing is that right now in our culture, we make that okay. We are like... We're all like sea otters who are not taking care of their fur.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think the thing is that you can get away with it, right? For a minute. Like, you don't you don't immediately die. You don't immediately get sick uh, if you don't take care of these things. And even over a long period of time, you know? You can remain sedentary for years. months and years and a whole whole long while. And you can keep on on clicking along um and so that allows us to ignore this kind of thing or to put it to the side
0: i mean i think a sea otter can too they can probably not take care of their fur for one day it's just their their time span is a lot shorter you know we cannot take care of our lymphatic systems for many days and we deteriorate more slowly we don't immediately die of hyperthermia we like we develop chronic inflammatory diseases. We develop edema and varicose veins. We develop, um, you know, maybe diabetes or whatever else. And so we'll limp along, but we won't feel good. We'll be sick. Mm -hmm. And so when we start to look at it that way, it's like, oh man, maybe I do need six hours a day to take care of my physical body. Like maybe I actually need that. Which would be great, you know. You just go into your boss and be like, "Sorry, I'm gonna need six hours a day to take care of my physical body."
1: Yeah. So I mean, that's the that's the limitation, right? It's time. Yeah. Time, time, not just like time that you have and you're fr- frittering away on irrelevant pursuits, but time <laughs> that is that is claimed, time that that is uh, is committed already. You know. And when we, when I sit down with clients, this was something that I. Um, uh made a huge impact for me in the way that I work with people and and how to how to be an effective practitioner. I'll I'll ask them tell me about all of your committed time in your schedule. And so yeah, that's work, but that's also like you volunteer at this thing and it's really important to you and you do it you know three nights a week for these hours. Okay, that's mm-hmm. that's committed time. Um, maybe you've got a class that you're taking or you've got you've got family members to take care of or, or whatever else it is. So things that um, that are immovable in your schedule, or at least very, very difficult to move and that you have some some attachment to, whether that's, this is how I pay the bills or this is right. how I connect with my community or whatever it is. Um, knowing, knowing that is really important and being able to distinguish between that kind of committed time and time that tends to get filled up, but is actually um, movable.
0: Yeah, time that isn't actually committed. And then I think also um, that that this kind of planning requires a lot of creativity, you know, like we, a lot of how our society was built in the past, stacked our functions, like the acquisition of food was the care of our bodies, because we had to move around to go get our food, whether we were hunting it or farming it or whatever, right. and or we had to be out in the gardens or... Um, We had to run around after our kids and some people still do run around after their kids, but some people have to work at a job and they and they have to put their kids in daycare. And um, so there's all these different things that used to, you know, even just before we invented electric lights we had a culture that supported getting enough sleep because there wasn't really another option. Our eyes don't really work when it's dark. So you could maybe sit around and talk around the fire and that's fun and good, but at some point you just go to bed because it's dark. So the changes of modern modernization have really m- created an environment where it's very difficult to do the things that our bodies require to stay healthy. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a modern environment. Like, to be honest, you guys, I really like that I can watch a movie whenever I want to. And I also like sitting up late at night reading a book, though I guess I could do that with a candle. And there are things about modern life that I that I really like. I am not saying that we should all go live in caves. but um, but But we need to be creative. We need to make specific plans so that the things that we know we need to do to be healthy also can fit into our lives and into the things that we really do have to do in a day. So that is the goal here. It is how do, how do we create that culture of support in our lives so that we can do the things that we have to do and do the things that we want to do and prioritize caring for our bodies as one of the things that we want to do um which is going to mean finding ways that we enjoy to take care of our bodies because yeah because enjoyment is also critical like you can't just be only working all of the time you need to also have things that you enjoy to do so those are the kind of plans that we want to be doing and I want to talk about some of them now these are example suggestions. They might not be exactly the perfect suggestions to fit in with your life or your health goals, but the idea here is to give you a little jumpstart on the creative part and get you thinking about how you could plan to stack functions and make choices in your own life that would create that space for you to take care of your health. Mm. Yeah. All right. So in all cases, you're going to need to make some time. And that is not easy, Um, but if you get creative with your schedule, it can happen. So the first thing that I would say is cancel literally anything that isn't serving you. So if there are things in your schedule that you do because you were afraid to say no, but you could have said no, you just were afraid to, then we should get that out of your schedule. You are allowed to say no to things. You do not have to do everything that people ask you to do. And they won't even necessarily be mad if you don't do it. Like a lot of times, if you say no, it turns out they'll say, oh, okay, I'll just go ask George, you know, like it's not the end of the world. But often we can get ourselves trapped into this kind of thinking that like, oh, if I say no, there's going to be consequences. So really, say no to all the things that you're doing because someone else thinks you should or because you're afraid they would be disappointed in you if you say no. And if that is really stressful, here are some ways to help do that. First off, you can announce that you're taking a month or three months or some, um, some like bounded amount of time to really work on your health. And so you are going to officially cut back on activities for that period of time. Now, you're not saying to somebody, I'm never going to help you again. So that makes it easier. You're just saying to to them, you know what? I have got to get my headaches under control. I'm going to take the next two months and really work on that. So I'm not going to be available for the next two months um, while I work on this. It might feel easier to say something like that than to say, you know, I really only did this because I was afraid you'd be disappointed if I didn't. And I really don't want to do it. And I'm going to quit and I'm never going to do it again. Like that might be, (laughs) it would be okay to say that, but it might feel really hard and scary to say that. Yeah. It might feel a lot more comfortable to say, oh, for this reason, I'm going to take a break for this amount of time. And you might feel more comfortable or more convinced that people won't be offended because it's not its not like, oh, this person is blowing me off. It is, oh, this person has a thing they need to do right now, and I understand having a thing you need to do. Um, also, I just want to throw out there that if they are offended, you don't actually have to care. You're allowed to be like, hey, I need to take care of myself and... Please don't be offended because of that. And if you are tough, <laughs> like it is okay to it is okay to do that.
1: All right, it's okay. You're allowed. It is.
0: Yeah. You are. You are allowed to prioritize your health. Um. All right. So another thing here is that um, if you're canceling things that aren't supporting your goals. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to cancel every part of it. So like let's say that you and your coworkers always go out for drinks after work. Maybe that social time is really important to you, but maybe you are trying to like improve your eating and you don't want to be drinking every night after work. It doesn't mean that you can't go. If you have the willpower to go and just drink juice or seltzer water with lemon in it or whatever, then, like, if 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 being in the pub isn't going to be, like, a um, too much of a temptation for you, then still go and have your social time. That part might not be the problem. The problem might just be that you're trying to get rid of all the sugar from all the margaritas or, like, whatever. <laughs> so... Um, So it might not be that you have to cancel every aspect of it, or maybe you're trying to ditch caffeine so that you can sleep better. But at work, um, at three o'clock, you and a coworker always go to get coffee together. And that's an important part of your work relationships. Well, again, you don't necessarily have to cancel every aspect of that. Just cancel the coffee aspect of it. So The leaving the office and going for a walk and building strong relationships with your coworkers, all those parts are good. So you could say, well, I'm going to keep that part because that does support my health goals, but I'm just not going to get coffee. I either will just take the walk and drink tea or water when I get back to my desk, or when I get there, I'll order tea instead of ordering coffee, you know, something like that. Mm. So there are kind of ways to go around this. And again, even like, let's say your office has a donut pool and every day a different person brings donuts and Thursday is your day to bring donuts. You don't have to say, well, you guys, I'm just, I'm giving up Thursday. Somebody else has to bring donuts twice. If it's important for your work, like if it's important for your relationships at work, then bring the donuts and just don't eat them. Like bring yourself something else like an apple or berries or something really nice that you enjoy. Um, like maybe carrot sticks are not enjoyable (laughs) next to donuts, but maybe you splurge and get yourself blueberries every day. And you're like, well, every Thursday, that's what I'm going to have. I'm going to have the blueberries when I bring the donuts to, you know, whatever. Anyway. Also, motherwort is an herb that can really help with this step. Motherwort helps a lot when you are setting healthy boundaries, And also when you need to say no, but it feels scary to say no. And you can just have tincture for this. You can drink it in tea as well if you want to. But tincture is totally sufficient and tincture is like instant, you know? Yeah, yeah. You can carry it around with you all the time.
1: Yeah, right. And for these purposes, you know, it could just be a few drops of Motherwort that you take. Um, It helps if you can, you know, have a moment to... Um, step away from the chaos for a second and like breathe quietly and take a few drops of Motherwort. Think about what it is that you're trying to, to change in the way you relate or the way you talk. And uh, Motherwort will help you get there.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's not just work um, or like your social engagements or your whatever. Um, we also need to make plans in the household. And change means change, and not everybody loves change, but it is really important for everyone to be in on it. So hopefully everyone in your household will support your goals with compassion, even if they don't want to pursue them with you. Um, If they don't, lots of motherwort, but also lots of persistence. Mm -hmm. I've definitely known people whose spouses or partners have actually like literally taunted them with pizza or cake right in their face and made fun of them because they were choosing not to eat junk food. And that's a really terribly difficult situation to be in. But that kind of behavior is not okay. And you don't have to stand for it. So if you are in a situation where... You want to make changes in your life to support your health. On one hand, it's great if the people in your house go along with you, but maybe don't, like, force everybody to go along with you so that you're clear, like, this is what I want to do. I would love everyone's support, but if you don't want to give up sugar, that's fine. But on the other hand, if somebody's, like, making fun of you because you gave up sugar, that is not okay. That That's a form of abuse, and you don't have to take it.
1: Yeah, it's always pretty frustrating when we, we hear back from students or clients or whoever, and they're like, yeah, I'm trying to do this thing, but I'm just getting so frustrated or uh, upset because of the way this is going down with other folks in the house. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a rough spot.
0: So um, that's, a, that's a sort of situation where a therapist or a coach might be able to help you um, in that situation. Um, And a little later, I want to share also some general like um, strategies for just talking to people about changes that you want to make. Uh, But if it's really like this sort of taunting kind of situation, then it is it might be really helpful to get help from an outside person who can help you make strategies about the best way to handle um, like people's behavior like that. So hopefully that is not going to be a reality in your household. I wish for every person that your household is like a wonderful, comforting place of support where, um, you know, everybody supports the changes that you want to make and supports your goals to take care of your body. I wish that for every person. But I do just want to say that if they don't, um, you know, make sure that you are also not taunting, you know, that you're not making fun of people for not going along with your changes, but no one should be making fun of you for trying what you want to try, because health is health is a journey. It's an, You gotta try some stuff and figure out what works for you. All right, it is absolutely okay to basically upend everything in service to your health, which might sound really crazy, but if you know that that's okay, then it, Becomes easier to upend just a couple things to be in service of your health, right? Um, You could literally make a list of all the things that you do in a week and then ask yourself, do you really need to do that? Do you really want to do that? Is there some other option? Is there a way that you could rearrange your day to do things differently and make more time? Or even what if you asked your boss if you could do this or that differently? And that's a pretty scary thing for a lot of people to think about. Um, And it is also a matter of privilege. For some people, their work reality is not going to allow any flexibility at all. But for a lot of people, the barrier to flexibility is actually the fear of asking for it. And you might be really surprised. Your work environment might accommodate more than you think if you present it right. Um, You know, especially if you think about you want to try to be less sedentary. There's so much data out there that standing meetings or walking meetings are more productive and shorter than sitting down meetings. Like there are ways to make the presentation if you just get creative. And so if you work in an Amazon warehouse, okay, you probably don't have any options for flexibility there. But if you work in an office environment, you might have some flexibility And so try to disconnect yourself from your fear of asking for what you need and just to write down everything in sort of a there are no stupid suggestions kind of brainstorming and and don't like inhibit yourself from even thinking about something just because when you very first start thinking about it, you don't know how that might be possible. You won't know how it's possible unless you sort of think about it a little while with an open mind. So anyway, I encourage that. All right, let's talk about some specific suggestions for each of the four areas that we like to work in. So we call these areas the four pillars and we focus on these four areas whenever we're trying to help folks to build better health and resilience.
1: Yeah. You can learn more about this approach in our free online video course, The Four Keys to Holistic Herbalism. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, so it's easy to find. Um, but we, we elaborate on that concept a little bit more right there.
0: So those four pillars are food, sleep, movement, and stress. And these are four areas that we always try to make improvements in um, when people are trying to make changes in their health. And remember that changes our experiments you're just going to try something and see how it feels in your body and you don't need to be like totally married to that experiment it's just an experiment it's okay to try stuff so in each of these areas we're going to try things that will help you to uh, build more health and more resilience but again building for yourself support systems and hopefully having people around you incorporate those support systems is really gonna help you. So in the area of food, um, here are some suggestions. First is write down what you're going to do. Like don't just say, I'm gonna eat healthy, but write down very specifically, I'm going to eat a serving of vegetables at every meal. I'm going to avoid sugar. I'm going to, whatever your goals are, Write it down and keep it someplace where you can see it, because that's a real commitment to yourself. It's the first step in saying that this is something real instead of this is just an idea that was fleeting. So then we can also get rid of things that don't support your goals. So if you're gonna say, I'm not going to eat sugary treats anymore, well then don't keep sugary treats in the house. Because that's like a guaranteed, like, like mentally it's saying, I'm gonna give up sugar unless I'm not, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like if you're not gonna eat sugar for a while, then don't eat sugar for a while. Really get rid of it. Um, another suggestion here is to have an accountability buddy. So if it's not somebody in your household, then get a friend who you can text who will support your goals and, Maybe somebody else in your household does have sugary treats and maybe you would like to poach them. And so just have a relationship with somebody who you can text and say, what I really want right now is to steal my roommate's candy bars. And then your friend can text you back and say, yeah, but don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) You know?
1: And that's it. That's all you need. That's all you need. Just a little bit of now. Hey, why don't you not? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah and you're all set yeah like it's amazing. and I say that as a
1: joke but it actually does work pretty well
0: yeah it's amazing like just having that little check-in and then having somebody say or you could not and then you're like right I could not that's right okay I'm not gonna do that <laughs> um if you have kids you might be thinking oh I couldn't get all the sugar out of the house or all the this or all the that because my kids would complain yeah they might but you're the parent, and they're the kid. Were they
1: really going to not complain anyway?
0: Right, they were going to complain about I mean, something else. <laughs> not
1: to so slander your kids or whatever, but
0: no, they were going to. I complain. think they might.
1: I think they might have been. Yeah, kind do it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Plus, if you start early in terms of teaching them that it is normal to take some time to remove junk food from the diet or to do like a reset, um, lots of kids grow up with cycles of food changes in a religious context. And so whether you're religious or not, that is that is something that you can look to. And maybe you've got religious friends who grew up with Lent or with Ramadan or with whatever. And you can even talk to them about what that experience was like for them when they were a kid. Now, obviously, we want to not put a bunch of like food anxiety onto our kids. But it is fine and also appropriate for kids to understand that... Every so often, we go sugar-free as a reset because too much sugar is a problem. And so then we just reset. And when you teach them early that this is just what we do, like, oh, it's okay to have some sugar sometimes, and it's important sometimes to have no sugar, and don't make too much of a big deal about it. Just, yeah, this is what we do. And when it is hard and your kids are complaining that they want sugar, and frankly, you would like to complain that you want sugar... That's a teachable moment. That's a chance for you to say, yeah, I would like sugar too. But the fact that I want it so badly right now kind of underscores the need for us to take a break from it. Like, I need to remember that strawberries are really delicious also. And if I only ever eat sugar, then I know I don't have the time to eat strawberries. Or whatever. Um, and also, actually, that idea of of like... I don't have the time if I'm always eating sugar. That's a really good framework to think about it because food changes are a mind game. If you have a scarcity or a deprivation mindset, it's going to be much harder.
1: That's like, oh, I wish I I want that thing. Okay, I'm not going to have it, but I really want to. I'll just have this other thing instead and it's not as good. (laughs) And I'd really like that good thing, but I'm just going to eat this. I have to.
0: <laughs> you sound like me <sighs> when I'm giving up sugar. <laughs> no, but, no, but like that's really true. If you, and it's,
1: it's easy to feel that way.
0: It's e- right. It's easy to feel that way, and you have to remind yourself that you don't have to feel that way because we're kind of hardwired towards that mindset, right? Hardwired towards that. Well, this is the thing I really want, and if I don't have it, then I feel bad. But we can. there's other things we can think about instead of thinking about feeling deprived. One is humans have always eaten seasonally, which is to say gone without certain things when they weren't in season, because we only just invented refrigerators recently, right? Like we had food preservation methods. We could make jam. We could make beef jerky. We could make whatever. We could dry berries. But... Most no, no, like
1: like Flintstones refrigerators with the Ugh. ice dinosaur in it or whatever. Yeah, or like know.
0: running in the bottom on the little. Sure, yeah. You know, that's no? No, not in there? no, no. All right. Turns out not that that was how we thought history worked, but it turns out that the Flintstones have actually been debunked. Ah. Uh,
1: yeah. Mm, propaganda.
0: <laughs> um. So if instead we're thinking about, oh, I'm eating seasonally, like. Right now, we can get basically, if you have the money, you can get anything, anytime, from anywhere. Like, ridiculous things can be imported or exported at at all the wrong times of year so that you can have them. And that's kind of awesome.
1: Yeah, who expects to get emu steaks in June? That's ridiculous. (laughs) Emu steaks come in September.
0: Okay. Probably. Actually, I I I will admit right now. I don't really
1: know anything about emu steaks.
0: I will admit right now that I went to the fish market asking for monkfish, and I just thought he was sold out. And he said, it's not in season right now. And suddenly I was like, I'm such an idiot. Why did it never occur to me that fish have seasons? Of course they do, just like every other thing. But somehow I was just like, no, fish are always available. Like, all the fish are always there. I'm going
1: to need a chart with uh, fish seasons on it (laughs) immediately. Yeah.
0: But, like, everything has seasons. It's appropriate. And, by the way, wanting to be social and not wanting to be social has seasons, too. Like, everything has seasons. It's okay. So... You can laugh if you knew that there were fish seasons, but I—that that is something new that I just I like... I grew up in a landlocked place, you guys. I didn't know about fish. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, another way to work here is to, instead of focusing on what you aren't having or what you can't have right now, to instead uh, turn that around and get excited about the things that you are having or that you, that you can have. Um, there's kind of only so much room in your stomach, right? So right now you're setting aside some things that... Might be your you know your old favorites, uh, maybe like it's donuts, milk duds, or I don't know what. Uh, <laughs> but instead, you're making room for some new exciting things that you might try. So you know when you're when you're doing a food change like this, um, it can be good to not only take some things out but to add some things in. Hmm. and that's because now you're doing experiments, you're trying new things, you're you're being challenged or you know, excited by something that's different, and that can take some of that mental uh, hamster away from running on that same old wheel of, but I really want my normal stuff.
0: It's like we're doing a whole 30 right now because we do one every few months, and um, I had really gotten in the habit of gluten free, dairy free French toast. Uh sometimes more than once a day. She
1: was French toasting it up, you guys.
0: I was really into French toast it for a was minute there. Freshly
1: toasted around here.
0: <laughs> and um and so when we were gonna do a whole 30, I bought some new spices that I've never tried cooking with, some Moroccan and some Egyptian spices that I'm really excited about cooking with and learning about. And like it turns out that if you are eating French toast, now you're full and you don't have time to eat something else or like you don't have the space in your belly to eat something else. So so exactly, like having something fun. And I share my French toast problem with you guys because I don't want you to think that like I always eat perfectly and you can't ever get to that point. Like I do not always eat perfectly. I do always maintain very strict gluten-free and dairy-free but I make really good gluten-free dairy-free cake you guys and I like to eat it. So, Whole30s, that's what we do.
1: Right now, you're not worried about it, because you've got all these other exciting things to
0: It took me a minute to, to stop thinking about French Toast, but suddenly I realized, oh my goodness. It was really only
1: like a day, you know? You, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, maybe it was only a day. It, like, it, the more Whole30s you do, the easier it gets, but I really, like, it just popped in my head, like, wow. I really got to a place where f- French Toast was synonymous with food. And look at all this stuff I wasn't eating. I haven't eaten tuna fish salad in, like, weeks. And, you know, like, last night I made this amazing salad with bacon on top and avocados and crazy stuff and peaches on it and blueberries. And it was bananas. Well, no, there actually were no no bananas. bananas. (laughs) Uh, But it was just like, oh, right. I forgot that there's all these other foods because I had gotten obsessed with gluten-free, dairy-free French toast. (laughs) With, like free-range eggs and local honey and plenty of ghee and whatever but yeah it was still french toast yeah all right anyway um one other thing here is that uh doing without something that you normally really like is a form of resilience right so if there was an emergency or if you suddenly have to had to move like across the world or i don't know what your foods would change And so by practicing seasons of change in your diet, it's actually like strengthening a muscle. It makes you more resilient to change because you are practicing change and it doesn't just apply to food. Anytime that you practice being at peace with not having something that you want, you get better at it across all things that you might want. So literally, stopping eating gluten-free, dairy-free French toast is like a meditation practice it is reminding me like i don't have to have the thing that i think i perfectly want yeah yeah so anyway you can feel excited about that
1: it is good to practice resilience and you know uh there's lots of ways to do that you can take cold showers you can i do
0: not like that way <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's so many ways right but this is this is actually one of them yeah yeah
0: all right, well, let's talk a little bit about sleep here.
1: Oh, no, sleep.
0: Yeah. So in terms of creating a culture for yourself and also for your household to support better sleep, um, some really easy things. Well, they're easy in saying them. They, you might find them a little less easy in implementation, but actually you might be surprised. One is to start dimming the lights early. And I will tell you the most fun way to do that is to get yourself a few strings of twinkle lights or Christmas lights, whatever, or some candles if that is more appropriate in your environment. And at a certain time, like you can even set an alarm for this on your phone, and at a certain time, turn off all of the lights and only put on the twinkle lights. Mm -hmm. They're bright enough for you to do whatever you have to do. You can cook with twinkle lights. You can read. You can fold your laundry, you can, all the stuff. And also it's fun. Like it's actually fun to just have, it's just fun. So if you make that plan ahead of time, you set the alarm on your foot, you got the lights, you hung them up, whatever. And they don't even have to be crazy with 10 million nails. Like in our living room, we have a strand of them that I've just sort of draped over one of the curtain rods in a, like in a long line Um, and it, it actually looks really nice and it's all twinkly when we plug it in. So, right. So, but your planning is you get the lights, you set an alarm so that you do this every night and then you just do it. Like it's just what you do. And presto, your lights are dim. And when you dim the lights, it becomes so much easier to fall asleep when it's time to do that because dimming the lights is the stimulation that, Uh, causes your body to start producing more melatonin.
1: Yeah, you make your own melatonin. You make it out of your pineal gland behind your third eye. And uh, you only do that if you get exposed to dimness or darkness. So for so many people, their trouble with sleep is that they turn the lights off and they lay down and then their mind won't quiet and they get frustrated and they toss and turn and they get angry. And now it's hard to go back to bed at all. So... The trouble is that there's no evolutionary precedent for being saturated in, you know, X thousand lumens, (laughs) and uh, then going from that into complete darkness all of a sudden, right? Um, In a natural environment, the sun would go down, and it would go down over the course of a while, and it would get dimmer and dimmer, and red-shifted, and all of this, and then now it's dark. Okay. So your body has time to adjust. And so when we dim the lights for an hour or so before bed, we're just... Giving your body that transition time. Yeah. Yeah. So do that.
0: Also along that is to get rid of all media a couple hours before bed. Well, not audiobooks. Those are fine. But, um,
1: like... Although this book we've been listening to about how fascism works is really interesting. I'm not sure if it's, like, the best right before bedtime. No, no, that's pretty stressful. You know, but, like, choose an adventure story or, I don't know, something... (laughs) something uh something, something uplifting yeah, yeah. Pema
0: Children has a ton of audiobooks there out there, there and those are really comforting and uplifting um, yeah definitely not political books right before bed yeah um, but turn off your TV turn off your laptop don't stare at your phone um, all of those are in the blue spectrum of light and they're really bright even if you don't think they're that bright they're actually really bright Uh, And so you can be turning on the twinkle lights, but if you still have the TV on or you're sitting in front of your laptop, you're still getting that light exposure that's suppressing the melatonin production. Also, change your evening behaviors. You can eat dinner earlier, and I have to tell you, that is a number one thing. If I eat dinner late, it takes me so much longer to fall asleep. And if I eat dinner early, it's so much easier to fall asleep. It It is absolutely binary. It's like... It's one simple thing I can do. But you can change a lot of your evening behaviors. Um, try to like flip the things you have to do in the evening so that the more active things happen early and the more relaxed things happen later. Um, just look at all the stuff that you have to do in the evening and try to organize them in a way so that you can calm down as the night goes on. And then, of course, work with herbs to help you relax. And, um, you know, there, I, we have some podcasts on that, but there's an enormous pile of herbs who can help you do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Check out some of our previous episodes about how to, how to choose the right herbs for, um, for improving sleep and all that kind of thing. hmm Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's take a little minute and talk about movement and um, movement and self-care and how we can support each other with this. So um, with movement, you want to look at how you can incorporate movement into your whole day instead of just like a portion of time at the gym. And so, you know, in this idea of creating a a community or a culture of of self-care or care for each other, (laughs) um, one of the things that we find really helpful for that is to make changes in your home or your work environment that will encourage more movement. So... Uh, and the thing is, this works for everybody, right? So, like, at our home, we don't really have a lot of furniture for sitting on. Uh, we sit on the floor a lot. We have standing desks and other things going on. So um, just that that change, like having fewer chairs around, meant less sitting happened. And it mm-hmm. happens for everybody. It happens for our friends when they come to visit us. Yeah. And, you know? Um,
0: and more sitting on the floor if we do sit. Right. You know?
1: And when you sit on the floor, you know, you have to support yourself, you have to hold your body up, and then you have to stand up off of the ground and all these other things and it's small, right? But you do that a dozen, couple dozen times a day, and so you're you're getting that much more movement into your life and into the lives of everybody who's around you.
0: If you think about it actually, if you are standing and you get down on the floor and then you get back up to standing, if you did that like thirty times in a row, you'd be tired or you'd be like, Whew, okay, I did something. You'd feel warm. Yeah. And if you do that 30 times over the course of a day, it's still the same amount of exercise. So it's like instead of going to the gym and doing it 30 times all in one place, do it all day long.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard this idea referred to as micro workouts um, recently, but, you know, I like to say it as leave your toys laying around and then play with them, right? <laughs> so like here in our living room right here where we were recording today, we have a few lengths of two by four. I've got some uh, some uh, medicine balls. I've got a sandbag and a steel mace and a little kettlebell and, you know, all kinds of things. And and,
0: and my hula hoop.
1: Yeah, right? And, and you know, like foam rollers and this and that. And we'll, we have them sort of randomly scattered around and if I get up to cross the room, then I might walk along the balance beams. I might pick up the 50-pound ball a few times and hoist that up in the air. I might swing the mace around a little bit. Or I might grab Elsie's uh, rope toy and swing that around and play tug-of-war with her for a little while. Before, Which is a workout. <laughs> before I just, you know, go to the next room and get a drink or brew some tea or whatever I'm up to.
0: Or like every time we walk down the hallway, maybe we crawl instead of walking. Or maybe we leave something in the hallway that we have to step over on purpose or whatever. And it's kind of funny.
1: Yeah. So much of this is just about making the environment encourage you to do these things. Rather than having yeah. it be something you have to remember or you have to willpower yourself into doing.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, an accountability buddy is going to help here, too. Yeah, You know, like um, whether that is somebody in your home who like m- in the morning you can get up with your partner and be like, oh, what kind of how do we want to set up the house today to encourage movement? Oh, I'm going to put the two by fours in this arrangement and then we can walk on them. And um, oh, we've decided that today the bedroom floor is lava and. Oh, I'm gonna tape some string to the walls in the hallway so that we have to step over it or go under it. And it can be fun and silly that you just take ten minutes to set up your house in a way that will encourage movement. It can be like a game that that you and the people you live with play, and suddenly movement is fun. It, and it's like it's accountability, but even at that, it's fun accountability. You can even You can even set things up as, like, challenges. Like, if we make it this tall, can you still step over it? Or uh, if we make it this short, can you still go under it? Whatever.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So there's some thoughts on movement. Let's talk a bit about stress.
0: Yeah. Well, the first thing about stress uh, management is to really evaluate what things stress you out and then really remove the things that you can remove, which is hard. Sometimes the things that stress you out are people and you might feel nervous about not spending time with them, but you don't necessarily have to. If they're not, like if there are people who are stressing you out or, or whatever, it's okay to not hang out with them as much, but that's hard and and scary sometimes, and it might take practice. It might take the practice of finding some other thing to do. Um, And that can be true even if it isn't people. Um, For example, we build habits, and sometimes the habits that we build are stressful. Like maybe you come home and you turn on the news on the television and you feel your agitation rate going up as you're listening to all the terrible things that are going on. Well. You don't necessarily have to not turn anything on when you get home because, you know, cold turkey is not always the best way to do it, but don't turn on the news. Turn on something uplifting. And when you do that at first, the uplifting thing is not gonna be very satisfying because you're gonna be like, But where's my agitation? Where's you know, like Mm -hmm. it's a kind of high.
1: It's real.
0: And so when you are removing things that are stressful from your life, it is hard to remove the stressful thing, and you also have to deal with the like um, the high that you were getting from that stressful thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's real. It's really real.
0: And and most importantly, I find that this is easiest if you um, intentionally find something to replace it with. Yeah. So if you're not going to hang out with a friend or a person who you've been behaving with as friends, but that person is not really supporting your health or is not actually a good friend, don't just go and be lonely. You have to find new friends to fill in that gap because you need people. You, you like, we're social creatures. Um, or if you're going to uh, replace a, a, like, media source then replace it with something that you really like. But here's something that I really like to think about. Our own behaviors tend to reflect the behaviors of the five people that we spend the most time with. So if you are trying to change your behaviors, it will be easier if you surround yourself with the people who are also trying to make those changes. And when I say people, I mean actual people. But I also mean like influential sources, right? So, if you're trying not to focus so much on politics, then maybe don't read Twitter.
1: Yeah, we, you know, like we call people social social media influencers, but yeah. um, very few of us would be at all willing to admit that we ourselves are influenced yeah by, by those individuals yeah. uh but it's absolutely happening, and I think you know like recognizing that is probably one of the first steps to uh having a little more control over it
0: yeah mm-hmm. and then and then intentionally finding something that you really enjoy and let yourself be influenced by that by that instead, whether it is stories of people who are living their goals or you know, I don't know uh you know, following the cabin life hashtag on Instagram and looking at pretty pictures of cabins in the woods. Like, I don't know.
1: This is, this is how she calms herself down <laughs> on an agitated day.
0: Yeah. That, and also hashtag emergency kittens. Um, oh, yeah. but, but whatever it is, like you just fill in the gap, recognize with compassion for yourself that giving up stressors is also difficult. It's, We think, well, if I get all the stress out of my life, I'll just feel relief and happiness. Well, no, you might feel a little bit of withdrawal from the stimulation of the stress. And so have some compassion for yourself and intentionally choose the things that influence you to be influenced by. Yeah. You know, be influenced by the things you want to be influenced by. Be influenced by the things you want to create in your life.
1: Yeah, So, you know, we we kind of framed this discussion as creating a culture of support And you may be feeling like, wow, all of this is on me Like this is all sounding like my responsibility These are all things that I need to do and I need to change And I need to think differently And I need to set alarms to go to bed on time And all this other stuff Um, But I want to swing back around and emphasize here that That is part of you creating your own personal culture what you what you live, what you experience, and that encompasses movement and art and food and all kinds of other you know habits and things. So in some ways, yeah, you are creating your own your own personal culture of self care and, and self support. But when you do these things, um, recognize that you have an influence on people around you, and that when people see you do that, they may be many things. They may be envious. They may be annoyed. <laughs> incidentally, they may be surprised. Um they they could be all kinds of different things, but in some way you are going to be influencing them as well.
0: They might be relieved mm-hmm. because maybe they also have been thinking about it and maybe they were afraid that you wouldn't go along with it.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: Um yeah, and really just that idea of surrounding yourself with people who are going to support your goals, even if a lot of people in your life will not. If you can find one person who deeply supports your efforts, who deeply promotes your efforts, and even who can tangibly provide that support, so maybe that's somebody who will be excited with you about new recipes that you're trying while you're not eating gluten-free, dairy-free French toast. Even if some of those recipes are terrible, like even if you try it and it's a total flop, somebody who will support trying it and then who will laugh with you instead of making fun of you for bothering to try something and it didn't turn out right. Sometimes things don't turn out right. And so you want this person to be someone who will who will see that with the good kind of humor, the supportive kind of humor, so that you don't feel too bad about it either. Like, hey, that's all right. Let's just go get salads, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And it can also be really nice if this person is in your household. Just because it's nicer to make tea for two people. Like, hey, I'm really trying to make a nettle infusion for myself every day. Let's make it together and drink it together. And if I forget or I have a really hard day, that person is like my backup. And and how wonderful is it when you went to bed and you felt terrible and you are laying there and you're like, Uh, I didn't set up nettle for tomorrow and that was my goal and I really wanted to do it. And then you're like, well, I don't care. I'm not getting up. And in the morning you wake up and you find that your partner or housemate or the person who cares about you made it for you because they knew what your goal was and they knew you felt terrible and they were supporting you. That's amazing. And that's what we want to look for. But even if it isn't someone who lives with you, Um, it still can be super helpful and it's still super important to have that one person who's going to support you. Even somebody who's just going to text you in the morning and say, hey, how can I support your goals today? Or, hey, is there anything I can do for you to help today be successful? Or even, you know, like, hey, you can do it today. It's going to be great don't forget to drink your tea, you know, whatever. If you have a sister or a a friend or whoever across the country who will text you before bed and say, don't forget to make your nettles, (laughs) like, that is helpful. It means that you know somebody out there cares. And that's what I'm really talking about, how we can support each other. It doesn't have to be this huge, like, Task of servitude. It can be as simple as just texting your bestie and saying, "Don't forget your nettles."
1: And if you did feel like you were about to embark on all of these, these changes or these shifts to to encourage more self care and all of that, then um, don't go it alone. Maybe there's somebody else out there who would who would go along this with you or try some things. And now you can be supporting them, right? Yeah. So even if you were out there feeling like, I don't know, I don't really have people who are are doing this with me, then find somebody and recruit them, you know, like bring them in on it. Maybe someone that's already starting to think in that direction anyway, and you were the thing that brought them forward into that, right? Yeah. So now you've supported them, you've moved them forward into that mode, and now you can support each other. Everything's going to work out a lot better for both of you. Yeah.
0: So a few thoughts about surviving in public, because when you make change, it's so good to have people who support you, but there will be well haters gonna hate i think is the yeah. the way that people say that, That's what that is. so one thing is that just stick to a couple of one-liners um, don't try to convince people just have a witty or a diffusive remark um like or like a very simple personal statement so when somebody is criticizing you for giving up gluten um, you know, maybe what's going on is that they really love gluteny things and they don't want to give it up. And when you give it up, they are feeling threatened about their choices about how they eat. Okay, fine. But we don't need their criticism. So you can just say something simple like, well, you know what? I have to try something because I'm sick of these headaches. So if this doesn't work, I'll try something else. But right now I'm trying this, you know, and leave it at that. It's, it's not about them, and you're not even trying to convince them that what you're trying is right. Just stick to, I am trying something, and trying is what's right. Because that's true, and because it's easier for people to understand. It's easier for people to not feel threatened if you're focusing on, well, hey, I need to try something because I'm sick of having headaches, or I'm sick of whatever it is. Mm. Um, and if this doesn't work, I'll try something else. It's, it's a very um, non-threatening way to, like, get out of the dogma of, of these ideas and just focus on the fact that whatever, I'm experimenting. It's fine. Yeah.
1: It's okay to experiment, you know? It's necessary. Yeah. It's part of being human. Otherwise, I mean, like, how do you think you learn to walk? How do you
0: <laughs> or, or
1: do, or do anything? Uh, or to eat the things that you do eat already? Like, at some point, it was the first time,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you
1: know? So we don't we don't ever stop experimenting because we became an adult or we figured out how we live or what our favorite sandwich is. I mean, you know, uh, you every day is going to be different. You're going to learn something all the time. So turning some intention and attention onto that is uh, just a way to actually make it more I don't know if successful is the right word, but but yeah, more thorough, more engaging, more real more long-lasting. I don't know. Lots of things.
0: It's like, you're still learning. There never has to be a point where you're like, well, ding, I'm an adult. I'm done. You know, like, I don't know. We have this idea that we have to present some kind of image of doneness to be an adult, but it's okay to learn in public. It's okay to, to have constant growth. And it's okay to project an image of constant growth through experimentation, through exploration. Like, this is all about how you perceive what's valuable and how the people around you perceive what's valuable. So maybe some people around you perceive constancy as valuable, and maybe you perceive that as stagnation. And maybe you perceive... Um, like experimentation as valuable. And maybe they don't like it, but that's okay. Just stand your ground. And I love that phrase, you do you, you know, like, it is okay to learn in public. It's okay to model that behavior. It's really okay to say, Well, I tried this and these were my results. So now I want to try it again with this modification or now I want to try the next thing or, hey, I'm really happy with that result now that I feel a lot better. But you don't have to be perfect and it's okay to present that as who you are and let that be part of what it means to be an adult for you. Hmm. I don't know. You're just you're trying out to see what feels best. It's like trying on clothes before you buy them. Like, who cares if you try some stuff on that doesn't fit? You just try it. Sometimes you try it even if you know it's not going to fit because it's funny, because you really like how it looks on the hanger, because whatever. And projecting that kind of attitude towards your experimentations can help people understand that you're not judging them And that you're not even necessarily something that they can't understand, even if you are behaving in a way that they don't behave. You're just trying some stuff on. That can give you the space, especially if you live in an environment or a town or a culture that is sort of closed minded, reframing what you're doing as I'm just trying it. I want to see what all the fuss is about. I want to see if it makes me feel good. I've got headaches. i got to try something. Reframing it in sort of those terms can make that space for yourself that even if it doesn't create support in your community for what you're doing, it at least can disarm the like negativity towards mm-hmm. what you might be doing.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And again, the more you do that um, and the more you, you practice that kind of thing, the better you'll be able to help other people who are doing that same kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. And then if we all work on this together, then we can all help each other. Isn't that nice? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay.
0: Well, we have some shout outs.
1: We do. Yeah. We got a couple of new reviews on Apple Podcasts from Broccoli Lover, uh, Rhino LeBon Bon Bonk, Lexi Card and Watcher Wolf. So, thanks to all of you. Thank you so much. When you write reviews for us, it helps the podcast come up better in search results for people who are looking for something new. So, you're really helping us to get the word out there. Thank you. Yeah. Uh,
0: also to Catherine Rose on and Jennifer, uh, both on Facebook who want to make the winter elixir with dried herbs, and you can do that. Uh, In fact, I just filmed all of that yesterday. It took me a minute to get some dried elderberries, but I did, and I filmed the whole process, and today, as soon as we finish this pod, I am editing those videos, and I will have them up in the new elderberry course uh, before the end of the day.
1: Cool. Uh, We have... A shout-out also to Kimi Jemmy Coco Pop, uh, who's been listening to the Sugar Cravings episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> uh, also to Gardener of Delights, who was into our, our foot episode. All right, cool. Everybody's got feet. Uh, Hopefully to...
0: not everybody has athlete on their no, feet. No, not anymore,
1: because but... we solved it yes. last week. <laughs> That's how that went. Uh, to Julie Hansen Herbalist, who also says yay to the pod all
0: right um and to red riding herbals who shared some really sweet thoughts and gave me the warm fuzzies so thanks for that and i'm so glad you like the pod and jessica in oregon who is getting ready to teach a class on back to school herbal support good luck
1: yeah go get them yeah uh on instagram gilded demure who just found the pod hey welcome
0: and Glenn and Naomi on Instagram, who wanted to know about Japanese knotweed root versus flower and the actions of both of those. And that's really exciting. And I included a lot of what I wrote to them uh, in the cold and flu course because I put a bunch of Japanese knotweed flower in our winter elixir this year. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Hey, also, I want to remind everybody that according to the FEMA newsletter that I got this morning, September is National Preparedness Month, and their motto is prepared, not scared. And actually, I completely agree. Uh, We are heading here in coastal Massachusetts into the worst of the hurricane season now, and we have a plan for that. So if you are... um, I know right now there's a bunch of fires happening in Nevada and there's other places. I I sort of feel like we should be getting to the end of wildfire season, except I keep hearing of new fires. Um, And if you are in hurricane season or really anything else, you might be interested in the Emergent Responder Program, which is a two-part online video course with literally everything you need to know to keep yourself and your community safe and strong through and also after a disaster, as well as buckets of herbal first aid and also longer-term aid because in a disaster, the hospital is just as likely to be wiped out as you are. So knowing how to take care of injuries and stabilize health conditions for yourself uh, will make you much better able to manage until you can get to a functioning hospital. And also, if you can take care of some problems yourself, then you don't need to add to the workload um, at whatever the remaining hospital is, And uh, let me tell you, the first responders will really appreciate that. There aren't enough first responders to go around, and they're all already overworked. So we kind of need to make ourselves into our own first responders and take action to be able to help ourselves and to help our community. Um, So do that. Check out that course and learn what you need to know to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you will feel really prepared.
0: (laughs) That is at our website. And you can find all of our courses at commonwealthherbs.com slash learn. Uh, But we'll put a link to emergent right in the show notes. Um, And there's the new cold and flu course. Uh, I'm getting the new elderberry and elderflower course. Uh, up today that's another ten dollar mini course just like the all about nettles course was and uh talks all about everything you could possibly want to know about elderberries and also elderflowers yeah it's just a bumper crop of courses
1: (laughs) a bunch of good stuff going on yeah all right so that's it for this week um take care of yourselves support each other yes and we'll be back next time
0: 拜拜。